All right, why don't you turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. So, um, Pastor Dan is picking up Tracy. She was down visiting her dad in California and came back tonight. So, that's where he's at tonight. Of course, it was my Wednesday night to teach, so it worked out that way. But um, praying they have safe travels back. Um, Be praying for... uh, Pastor Dan for his truck. It's been having some electrical issues, shutting off while he's driving. Uh, a little bit scary and <laughs> everything. So it's at the shop now, so hopefully they can get it fixed and figured out. But, um, uh, you know, our pastor is not just uh, one of these pastors that teaches on Sunday and plays golf the rest of the week, but he's a working man. Um, you know, you come down here and he's doing projects. He does landscaping, remodeling, repairing, all that kind of stuff. He's goes to the dump probably two times a week with loads of stuff and everything. And that truck is his tool that he uses for a lot of ministry. So, um, just be praying he can get it fixed and worked out and everything. So, but, um, on your tables, got a little extra sheet of paper there. It's kind of connected to what we're looking at tonight, kind of not. You know, the verse we start with tonight is verse 16 of chapter 3. And one thing that kind of has jumped out at me and that I've liked for a long time is, it's not in every book of the Bible, obviously, but there seems to be this pattern sometimes with certain verse references. So I've got down here for you the three sixteens of the New Testament, basically, that are really important verses for us to know, to understand, to memorize, and kind of know what the the application is for those verses for us, um, because each one speaks specifically to our lives as Christians and our important truths to kind of base our, our belief on. So um, I'll read our verse tonight, because I've actually forgot to put that down on here. You might want to write it down, you know, the one verse we're looking at. But um, verse 16 of chapter 3, it says, By this... We know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So that would be one of the verses. The other one you know, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? That's the gospel foundation for us. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. speaks of our attitude as Christians in thanksgiving to the Lord, but also the importance of being in the word, having it hidden in our hearts, the importance of letting it teach us in humility, the importance of sharing what the Lord has taught us and what the Word says with the body, edifying each other, building one another up, sharing the gifts He's given us, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, worship, um, and, and just having that, that attitude of thankfulness and community together as a, the body of believers. First Timothy 3.16 Um, This is one that was written kind of as an anthem or a creed, which is a short statement for you to kind of understand foundational beliefs. 
Um, and Paul writes, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So the mystery not being something hidden, but something that is now revealed is what that's speaking of. Um, and this is it. God was manifested in the flesh, speaking of Jesus, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. I mean, it's, it's set up for you to memorize, to know by heart, to understand. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word of God is everything we need as Christians. If we have salvation, we have the spirit of God, the word of God has the answers for us, right? Uh, we don't need to go elsewhere for truth. This is where the truth is. Revelation 3.16, now here's the little warning, the application, the stinger that's in there. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And that's Jesus' words to the church in Laodicea, the church that said it's my rights over what God has to say for my life. And it's a warning for us as a church that that's the spirit of the age that we live in. Um, and that's the temptation for the end times is to say it's about me. It's what I want, what I feel, what I like, what I think, rather than what God has to say in his word. And if we're in that area, then Christ says we're lukewarm. And he, he just vomit us out of his mouth because we're not hot for him, on fire, in line with him, and we're not cold against him. We're just kind of blah and spits us out. So it's a, that warning, that application for us. So keep these. These are for you guys. Um, but little verses, I thought. It's neat. You know, the, the verses, it wasn't, you know, inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the verse references and the chapter divisions were put in the way they are. But sometimes they just kind of line up like that, which is neat. Um and everything. So let's get to our text, though. Um, we'll read it and then we'll pray. First John three sixteen. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in deed or, or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this, we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, your word is truth that we can trust it wholeheartedly with our lives. We can stake our salvation, our eternity on the promises that you've given us in your word. We can come to your word when we face trials and tribulations, struggles of life, Lord. When we have questions, Lord, when we're seeking uh, wisdom and discernment, um, direction in our lives, Lord. Um, and even just 
words of praise, how to pray, Lord, all of these things that make for our Christian walks, Lord, we can find in your word, and we thank you for that. We pray as we look at these things tonight that your spirit would illuminate what we're looking at, that uh, we wouldn't be confused, but your spirit would just speak the truth to us. We ask that you would bless our time here tonight in your name. Amen. So, um, continuing on, uh, obviously, in 1 John, what we've been looking at. Um, you know, last week, our pastor, we, ta- we looked at verses 10 through 15 um, in chapter 3. And kind of looked at the, the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. And what it means to practice righteousness and what it means to not practice righteousness or to practice wickedness and evil. Um, and, and to show that if you have hatred, if you have um, jealousy in your heart, um, then uh, and you are practicing those things, unrepentant of those things, then you're, you're walking in wickedness. Um, and the, the picture that we have there, verse 12, where it says, Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Right, so that's the spirit that Satan has given. That is the spirit of the flesh. That that is um, the uh, attitude of the wicked. Is jealousy, is um, anger, is hatred, um, is murder, um, and, and really, it's because um, of works being evil, in contrast to his brothers being. Uh, righteous his works being righteous and and that's the spirit of the world that we live in now and what we came out of as well um so then john come goes on in our portion of chapter three and he gives us the contrast so cain when is the the picture there now we see christ as a picture uh, of walking in love of being the example that we are to follow now and how we understand and know truth and, and know that we have salvation um, and, and how we are to treat one another. And that's what he starts with, where he says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. That word know is gnosko in the Greek, um, and it's experiential knowledge. So it's not intuition, um, it's not book learning. It's you know because you've experienced this truth. You understand it with your being because you, you've been a participant of what's taken place to teach you this truth. And that's what it's speaking of there is the experience that we have by this. We know experientially love. We've experienced it to where it's not just some vague idea. It's something tangible for us that we know we can grasp onto, we can understand because we've, we've seen it, we've experienced it. Um, and that's because he, speaking of Jesus, of course, here, because he laid down his life for us. The tense of the verb here, to know, actually speaks of a permanent, ongoing state of knowledge. So it's not just something where we know that one time and then we can kind of forget, but it's this life-changing, life-altering knowledge of God's love for us and what he's done for us. I mean, when we, when we truly 
see God's forgiveness in our lives. That's something we never should and never really can go back, uh, come back from, I should say. Um, it, it's something where it's, it's a permanent, ongoing state of understanding that Christ loves us. He died for us. I mean, the work that he did on the cross once and for all, it, it, that's why he said there, um, te telestai, when he was hanging on the cross, it's finished, paid in full. The account has been, you know, brought to zero. Um, the debt's been paid. And it says it's it's finished. His sacrifice once for all paid the price for the sins of every person, whoever, like we looked at John three sixteen, whoever believes in him. That that price has been paid. It's a permanent work. And his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf is a permanent truth that does not change. Christ died for you and nothing can change that. That's something we need to have foundation of our belief. Christ died for me, and nothing can change that, right? Christ died for us. It's a permanent, ongoing state of knowledge. And because we have that knowledge, then it requires action, right? We have responsibility. We have the response. We've looked at it, of course, throughout 1 John, where our response is to love God. Our response is to be obedient to Him, to obey him, to keep his commandments, to, 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 to follow him, and to walk in his footsteps. Now, if Christ's sacrifice was on our behalf, and not just ours only, but for all who would place their faith in him, um, for all mankind as an opportunity for salvation, um, and then his responses for us to love as he loves then logically, consistently, the response is, we love the people that he loves. It comes directly out of that. There shouldn't be any contradiction. There shouldn't be any inconsistency in our lives. Is that Christ, he, he died for me, but he died for you as well. And because he laid down his life for you, my response is what John says. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It's the response we have. We lay down our lives for the brethren. Um, Christ's love, it's the ideal. His sacrifice is the ideal, the true ideal of love. The complete antithesis of murder, what, what Cain, what happened with Cain and Abel. Abel. Uh, with Cain, he took Abel's life for his own benefit, Right? With Christ, he laid down his life for our benefit. And that's the complete opposite. Um, he, he, instead of taking another's life, he gave his own life for us. When he had the power to um, do that, and ultimately in our sin, because of our sin nature, and because of our living out and walking out that sin nature, we deserve death. We deserve the penalty, the wages of our sin being death. But, and, and Christ is being righteous, and God is being the righteous judge who requires of us obedience. Then in the law and according to the works of our flesh in the sin, we deserve death. And Christ has, God has the right to take our lives, to take that payment. But instead, he laid his life down on our behalf. And that's so beautiful. That's what Christ has done. You can't, you can't even begin to 
completely fully fathom just how far-reaching the implications are of Christ's death on the cross on our behalf. It means everything for us. It's eternal. Uh, it's, uh, it has an eternal weight. Uh, it, it has eternal ramifications. We're going to be singing his praises for eternity because of it. We're going to be exploring the depths of, of his sacrifice on our behalf and for the world, I believe, for eternity. That's, that's our worship that we see in heaven is because of what he's done for us on our behalf. And it's that, it's that constant understanding, not understanding, but constant coming back to it and, and, and exploring that and, and meditating on it and, and worshiping the Lord for it is that he laid down his life for us, right? It's that truth. John fifteen thirteen. you guys know it. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. I wonder if the disciples understood what Jesus was saying when he told that to him. Because right after he said, you are my friends if you do what I've commanded you, right? Did they understand that Jesus was saying, I'm laying my, down my life for you, right, at that moment? I don't know. Obviously, they didn't know the full implications. We see that with the whole crucifixion and what took place with his disciples there. But there's no greater love. John 3.16, we already read it. You guys know it. His, God's Son was given on our behalf that we wouldn't lose our lives but have eternal life. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul writing. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How often do we meditate on that daily? We should be meditating on that daily. He loves me. He gave himself for me. And because of that understanding, then we see, I've been crucified with Christ. It's not my flesh. It's not my wills. It's not my desires. It's not about me any longer. My old man's been put to death with Christ on the cross. I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live. Now the righteous things that God calls me to do, to be obedient to him, to keep his commandments, it's not me and my strength doing that. It's Christ working his strength, his life through us as we yield to him, as we are obedient to him. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. And that's trust. That's, that's trust in the Lord, that these promises that he says are true. We trust the Lord. He gave himself for me because he loves me. He died on the cross on my behalf. And my old flesh that I still struggle with, that I have temptations in, that, that sometimes I give in to those temptations, that I have um, you know, struggles and weakness in my flesh, that I, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do, that that old man, that old person has been crucified with Christ. That's a promise we have, that we walk by faith. We live by faith in the Son of God in those things because he died for us. He loves us. He laid down his life for us. And we see as we look at the testimony of the Gospels as Christ was resurrected, right? We see that, that his resurrection is the stamp, the proof of God's approval of the work of Christ on the cross on our behalf. Because he's resurrected, we can trust that the salvation that he gives us is eternal 
salvation. That the promises that he gives us can be trusted. Because it's a miracle unlike any other. It's something that, there, you know, people criticize the Bible all the time as being a book of just stories or myths or literature to be read rather than truth and rather than having accurate historical accounts. Did you know there is no other account in all history, in all historical books, none, not one, that has the amount of corroborating witnesses that the resurrection does. And that there, there is not even the number of Greek manuscripts that come close, if not some, maybe some of the originals that are out there. We don't truly know, but that come, that testify to the truth of what we have in our English Bibles as translated from the Greek and from the Hebrew, that those things, um, there are so many manuscripts and, and the evidence behind it, there is no other book that compares to it. There's thousands, tens of thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament. The closest, I don't even remember the book, it's one of the Greek philosophers, I think there's about 60 manuscripts, right? What we have in the scriptures can be trusted. His sacrifice on the cross on our behalf can be trusted. The resurrection, it's a true event that took place. And because it's a true event that took place, the ramifications of it, who Christ said he is, the promises that he says we have in him, the salvation that we have can all be trusted. We don't rest our faith on just blind faith, on some vague promise. It's on hard evidence. It's on truth. And because of that, then we respond and we live, we walk. The Christian life is not about relative truth, about feelings, about um, what our own understanding is. The Christian life is about hard absolutes of truth that we walk on, that we build our faith on, we build our lives on, and we walk in it, and we apply it to our lives, and we trust the Lord. You know, obviously we have questions. Life is not black and white as far as the challenges and the questions that we have, but we have the foundation, the scriptures. We have the foundation, the sacrifice of Christ, and that colors that gives the the meaning the application um, the emphasis for us to live our lives in obedience to him and it by his example as christians um, john three sixteen it tells us the scope of christ's work in that whoever whosoever old king james says believes can receive the benefit of his sacrifice but here in that verse in galatians two twenty that we read it's this very personal understanding of Jesus' death for me. And it's that understanding that he loved me and he gave himself for me. And it's a, it's a solid foundational truth that we need to grasp as Christians. And we need to walk in. And we need, we need to have that understand. He loved us. He gave himself for us. And we have these promises because of it. And this is how I live because of it. This is how I treat brothers and sisters because of it. This is how I look at, view the sin in my life because of the work that he's done. This is how I look at eternity because of what he's done. It is the foundation for all of these things. You guys remember that Sunday school song? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Um, you know, it's simple, beautiful, right? That's the foundation. That's why it's taught to our children. It's the foundation. If you start there, then you can get 
all these other things right as you, as you continue on in that. So go back to 1 John. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So because of his love, because of that truth, because of the work that he's done and because it's now him in us, the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God, him working through us, because of that, the response is, we have an obligation. We have a debt to pay. That's what that word in the Greek, ought, means. We owe it. We owe it to the Lord, and we owe it to each other as believers, to brothers and sisters in the church. We ought to love one another. We ought to lay down our lives for one another. We have an obligation. Um, now, there may be some who have the opportunity to physically do what Christ did. It won't have the same effect, obviously, where uh, Christ, he atoned for the sins of the entire world um, in his sacrifice. But, you know, there may be some where you, you physically put your life in harm's way on behalf of another person. Um, that may come to, to pass, but truly it's even more than just that. Right, It's that our lives are now uh, being sacrificed in service to one another because of our love for the Lord and because of his love for us and then his love for the brothers and sisters in the church. The call is a self-sacrificing life of service to one another. And that's the example we've had from the beginning. John keeps saying, this is what you've heard from the beginning. This is what you've heard from the beginning. It's a foundational truth. Christ loves you. He died for you. Be righteous. Be holy. Keep his commandments. Love one another. What you've heard from the beginning. John thirteen fourteen. If I then, this is Jesus speaking, he says, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. Remember that? Where Jesus goes in and he washes his disciples' feet. If I've done this, you also ought to wash one another's feet. That's the example. Now for us, you know, I'm sure you've heard kind of what the, the Middle East practice was. Um, I don't know if it still is. It might be in certain areas where they have like Bedouins and nomadic tribes and everything, but sandals were the footwear of choice. And you're walking out in the dusty, dry environment, and your feet are always dirty, right? And, and you come in, um, and it was uh, something that servants in wealthy households would do would be to wash guests' feet as a, a form of hospitality, as a form of, uh, of kindness and welcoming somebody into uh, their house. I think the closest thing, which doesn't even come close at all that we have, is like taking somebody's coat when they come in our house, right? Um, but this is far more than that. But... Uh, Jesus, who was and is God, Jesus, who, who had every right to be praised in, with every breath that every person believe, uh, breathed and, and, and deserves all the praise and glory um, forever and ever, uh, he humbled himself, wrapped a towel around his waist, basin of water, and is washing dirt, filth, I mean, in those times, they didn't necessarily have sanitation, right? They dumped their refuse out their windows into the streets in a lot of places. Um, and uh, so, I mean, uh, my wife just got on me for wearing my shoes in, in the house 
more than I should. She says, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day, how much stuff you walk on of nasty stuff that's on the road, right? But Jesus, he's there, and their feet are just filthy. And he gets down and he washes their feet. Not as a, here's the ritual you do every time you come together. Okay, everybody take your shoes and socks off. Let's get the towels out. We're going to wash each other's feet. You know, it may be something that might be a neat thing to do. Maybe it might be kind of weird in our culture and society now. But you know what? But the principle is, is that we humble ourselves and we serve one another. Right, And that's what Jesus was teaching his disciples. And that's what he wants for us, is we wash each other's feet. You know, and, and the, the picture, the application of that is there, is that as we, as Christians, we've been made whole. We've been made clean. We've been washed by his blood. Right, He's paid the price for our sins. But as we interact with the world, as we go out and do the work that he's done, that he calls us to do, our feet get dirty. Right? Because the, the world is filthy. And then as we come back in and we're gathered together, then we have our responsibility as believers to then wash each other's feet. Right? Hold each other accountable. Pray for one another. Minister to each other. The things in the world that affect us as Christians, we all know, you know, this war going on in Ukraine with uh, Russia. Um, I've been following some... Um, military intelligence channels and one of the the comment channels on telegram that i was looking at first time i've ever seen it i'm I'm sure there are those of you who've been through war but somebody was posting videos of all these people that were killed um and that just uh that shocked me and broke my heart um you know to see that this is war but this is this is what the world does that's an extreme picture but this is what the world does to us as christians right? It's in opposition to us. It's evil. It's wicked. It's filth, right? Um, sometimes we, we do it to ourselves and what we're taking in, right? Um, but as we gather together, as we come together as believers, our, our, our obligation to one another is to serve each other, to wash each other's feet, to say, hey, brother, can I pray for you? Sister, can I help you out? Is there something you need? Uh, uh, you know, somebody we see that's maybe caught in sin or stumbling. You know, God wants you to be free from that sin. Doesn't want you to be struggling in temptation and giving into that any longer, but to have victory in Christ in that. Brother, sister, you know, confront them. Exhort them. Um, bring them to the scriptures when they have questions. You know, I just lost my job. What do I do? You say, well... The Lord says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things, the things that we have need of in our lives, will be added to us. It says that God knows the number of hairs on our heads. He knows the thoughts in our hearts. He knows what we have need of before we even speak them. Right? His Spirit is in us, interceding on our behalf for those things that we don't even know how to pray for. Right? We take them to the Word of God and the promises that are there. That's what we do. That's washing each other's feet. That's laying our lives down for one another. You know, it's great. You know, we have a social community here at this church where we know each other. You know, some of you are new here. Some of you have been going here for decades, you know. and, and But we come in and we know each other. We talk to each other. We have things maybe outside of the church that we have in common and everything. But when we come together... 
We need to be making what we're doing here together about the Lord, about serving one another, right? I get convicted many times when I'm even on a Sunday because of the things that I do, the ministries that I have, where I'm busy all day Sunday. I'm here from 5.30 in the morning until 2 in the afternoon some Sundays. Um, and some of the times I feel like I haven't seen anybody except for the ministry people that maybe come in my office or that I see you know, before or something. Um, and I get convicted sometimes that, yeah, I'm serving in these helps kind of ministries, but have I sought to serve someone and blessing them spiritually, praying for them, encouraging them, giving them counsel, uh, uh, just being someone to talk to uh, uh, or having those other things. We need to be doing that as believers, as Christians, as a church, to not let our relationships here, our conversations here be shallow at surface level. When somebody asks you, how you're doing, answer honestly. When you ask somebody, how are you doing, don't say, oh, that's good, and then walk away, right? Ask, no, brother, sister, how are, how are you doing, really? Are you okay? You know, we, we have the Spirit of God in us, and we should not be timid with each other, right? We should be, um, it, and we're going to see that, we have confidence in our prayers that we can have because of the work that He's done on our behalf. And because of that, because of the Spirit of God that's in each of us, the Lord can use you personally, individually, to serve someone else here in the church. And you have that opportunity. It's not all about the pastor, the worship leader, the Sunday school teachers, the ushers. That, those are all important ministries. But ministry happens one-on-one as well. And you have that obligation to lay down your life for one another. Romans 15, verse 1. We then who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and to not please ourselves, right? Now that, that speaks of stumbling our brothers or sisters, laying down our lives, self-sacrifice, right? We have freedom and liberty as Christians, right? We're no longer under law but under grace, Right, The Lord has set us free. We're, we're not under the obligation to all of these ceremonial laws and, and all these other rituals and the things that like the Pharisees and the scribes did. We're not under any of those things. We have freedom and we have liberty in Christ. Like Paul said, all things are lawful for me. right? But not all things are beneficial. However, we are in sin. The thing itself may not be sin for us, right? It may not be sin for me to go home and to have a beer when I get off work, right? It may not be sin for me in that it's not stumbling me, it's not causing me to, to walk away from the Lord. However, there are men and women in the church who that is a sin for them, that even the very thought of that as a temptation, as a struggle, is something that is sin for them. And for me to not give that liberty up and say, I have liberty to do this. I'm going to do it. I don't care if you're stumbled by it. I don't care if this might affect or stumble someone else. For us to do that, that then makes our liberty sin, right? Because we're no longer walking in love, right? You can say all you want. I have freedom. I have liberty. You can't tell me what to do any longer, right? Um, I'm, uh, you're just legalistic. You can say all of those things, 
But when you look at what you're doing, is it self-sacrificing for the brothers and sisters around you? Is it walking in love? Right? Um, Because I think many times if we have to justify it, then we're not walking in love. We're not walking in holiness. And, you know, alcohol, drinking, that, that's just an example. That's not the only thing. There are many things out there, right? We're to, self, we're, we're to be self-sacrificing, to give up our freedoms and our liberty, like the example we have that we've looked at before with Paul, where he talks about, I'd rather not eat any meat at all, rather become a vegetarian altogether, so that I wouldn't stumble any brother or sister who thinks that eating meat that's been possibly sacrificed to idol is idolatry, right? And he says, I'd rather just not eat it at all, give it all up. And, and, and that's the attitude that we're to have, is to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. That's the culture, the society, that's the spirit of this age that we live in now is pleasing ourselves. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you happy, Right, whatever floats your boat, uh, all of those things. But as Christians, we're called to not live like that. We're called to not live like that. We're to be self-sacrificing in our lives. First John four eleven says, "Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another." Right, and that's it. Christ loves us. He laid down His life for us. We have an obligation now to lay down our lives for, for one another. And then here's an application. Another thing that John writes here, the Holy Spirit writes through John, verse 17, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So we have an obligation to not just say that we love someone, but to act it out, right? When it speaks of this world's goods, it, it think it's the, the, verb in, the word in the Greek is, is bios, which means life, and what it speaks of is actually things that make for your life to be um, a, an easy, normal, consistent life. And it speaks of uh, when it says whoever has this world's good, where you just, this is constantly it. Your, your life is easy. Things are going great for you. And John writes, if things are going great for you, you have what you need, and you are hearing, seeing your brother or sister in need, and you're not helping them out, and you're shutting your, your heart up from uh, them, John asks the question, how does the love of God abide in you? Right? If you're shutting, closing up your heart against that person, right? That's another reason why we as believers, we as Christians, we need to be involved in each other's lives, to know. I mean, I, I know as a man, sometimes it's embarrassing to ask for things that you may need because you want to provide for your house or you want to be self-sufficient. You want to have all these things. But, uh, you know, the Lord says that sometimes we don't have because we don't ask, Right? Um, and we as Christians, though, we have this responsibility. It's not about this, um, oh, brother, I'll pray for you, that, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for you that you find a job when you're a boss who knows you have openings at your work and you can put a reference in for them and possibly hire them, or 
uh, you have a spare room at your house and you can put somebody up who's in need looking for a place to live. Or uh, you have, you know, the Lord's blessed you and you have money. Maybe you have that all-American savings account that's got $20,000, $40,000 in it. And, uh, but you've burned through all your spending money for that month and you say, oh, I don't really have anything to spend, to share, but you have somebody in need. Is that savings? Is that, is that wealth something that you're going to hang on to and not bless, not serve somebody else in rather than being obedient to the Lord, right? We need to, we need to truly count and understand that you may have your nest egg that you're holding on to, right? That you have that, that is great for you, right? But in the end, that money is going to burn up, right? And do you trust the Lord? If that thing is something for an emergency fund, do you trust the Lord to replenish that? If he's put somebody in your path to bless them with the money that you have, the, the goods, this world's goods that you have, to say, you know what, this is all I have, but they're in need, and I can give it to them, I'm going to give it to them, and trust the Lord to provide for what I need down the road. Right? That's the attitude we're to have as, as believers, as Christians. Self-sacrificing love is to say, you know what? Yeah, I had plans for this. Yeah, my time was set aside for myself when I got home from work or, or you know, the weekends are about me and, and, and being able to do the projects or the things that I wanted to do, or maybe veg out and watch movies all day or whatever. But I get that phone call, hey, my car broke down. Can you come help me? Hey, uh, we're this you know, widow is trying to move. She needs to get out of this apartment. Can you come help? Uh, you know, all of those little things, we, the kind of the American attitude is really selfish, honestly. Um, and we as Christians need to live by a completely different set of rules where we are, we are willing to sacrifice our wants our desires to serve one another, and the Lord will bless that, right? You know, it's not that we do it to look for the blessings. We're not about the name it and claim it sort of, you know, you know this exponential giving thing where you give 10% and you expect 100% back, you know, or whatever the things are. I remember my great aunt had this tape of some marionette doll thing that she loved to play when we'd come over to her house for family reunions really creepy but it's supposedly this christian ministry thing and this you know here's this tape that's supposed to be sharing the gospel with children and this ministry to children and it's talking about giving and multiplying your wealth and, and that was something that was taught over and over again right and that's not as christians it's not as as believe it's not in the bible Right, God blesses His people. He provides for His people. But what? Look at cultures, countries around the world right now that um, are going through. I look at Ukraine, right? Christians in Ukraine, evangelical Christians. If Russia takes over that country, they're looking at having to go underground because Russia does not recognize certain forms and, and a lot of forms of evangelical Christianity, right? Um, Look at other nations that have been going through it now. And they're Christians. They love the Lord. They believe the scriptures. They're right on their doctrine. They understand things and everything, but they are the poorest of the poor people. Right? It's not about wealth. It's about God's blessings in your life. And that looks different than wealth. 
right? The two aren't the same. Sometimes it comes that way. Sometimes the Lord blesses you with money and wealth so that you can bless others or for a specific thing that God is calling you to do. But um, but God's blessings are far more than that, right? It's spiritual treasure in heaven. It, it's... it's um, building one another up. It's the relationships of support that the church has and being edified and built up together as living stones built on the foundation of Christ, right? It's all of those things. And as we are are walking by the Spirit in obedience to this, then the Lord blesses that. But ultimately, it's not even about just this getting these blessings from the Lord. It's our simple duty. It's our obligation, it's what we owe to each other. So that's the starting point for us as Christians, is laying down our lives for one another, right? Now, the modern church and what the world says the church should look like has this wrong, because they'll take out brethren and they'll put the world, they'll put others in there. Now, we're to love people, don't get me wrong. We are to love people, right? We're, we're to be humble, we're to be loving, we're to have... Uh, speech season with grace. We're to we're to to help if we can help, but this applies to the church. It says, "Brethren, Adelphoi, is it?" it? Speaks of the body of Christ, right? The ministry that we do starts in the household of God. Sometimes we may have extras blessings that we can help each other out, but shame on these churches that spend all their time and all their money on feeding the homeless people on doing all these other things when they have people in their church that are in need, right? But, oh, you're not one of that kind of person, so this is what our money's for, this is what our ministry's for. Um, when we're called as believers, we serve each other. Now, it's not to exclusion. Our hearts are to be open to one another, right? And, again, that's what um, it was written there. Um, what? Uh, let's see if I can find it again. Um, Romans 15.1 that end part there is we're to not to please ourselves right it's not about our likes it's not about our wants it's about we serve one another whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him how does the love of God abide in him so the question needs to be asked of ourselves is there a need that I know of that the Lord has put in my path that I have not been obedient in helping out in? You know, is it ministry? Is it prayer? Is it just a gift of money? Is it spending time with somebody? Is it uh, praying for someone? Is it calling that person up that, you know, sits by themselves all the time after church on a Sunday morning down here? Right or going up to them and introducing yourself to them, talking with them, seeing if you can pray for them. There's very practical things that we can do as believers that we're called to. And uh, we're not walking in love if we shut up our heart to those things. Right, That's what we're called to. So verse 18. I'm going slow through this. So I'll try to get done here soon. But verse 18, my little children, love that. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Right? That's what we're called to. We love in deed and in truth. 
We're, it's not saying, you know, you can be <laughs> mean-spirited in what you say, and it doesn't matter and everything. Just say what you want. As long as the actions are there, that's great. That's not what it's saying at all, right? We're called to be loving in all the things that we do, our speech. But we're also not to stop short at just saying, again, I'll pray for you, or, you know, speaking comforting words when we have the things that God wants us to give to that person or to do for that person, right? We're to love in deed and to love in truth, right? So not to to put on a show about how we're being loving to someone, but to actually love in truth, to be sincere, to be truthful about it. Now, that's a hard thing sometimes with some people, right, uh, in our flesh. And with some people in their flesh, it's a hard thing sometimes, right? Personalities... Uh, maybe maybe a person we're dealing with is not being loving, but if they're a brother or sister, you're called to be loving to that person. doesn't matter what they're doing. You're called to be loving to them, right? Um, where we are able to then be obedient and to live that out is through Christ, right? It all comes back to what he's done for us. He died on our behalf. And because he died on our behalf... And because we died with him and because his life is now being lived in us, then we walk according to his love. When we have those instances where somebody is somebody where we just, our personalities clash or whatever and everything, but there's a need there and God's called me to love that person, then we pray and we say, Lord, help me. Give me your love for that person. And then we walk in obedience. And I think the Lord, I know the Lord changes our hearts towards that person to where it no longer becomes a struggle and no longer becomes something difficult as we're walking in love. You know, um, think of a parent who has a child who has gone astray. And, um, you know, many times there are things that 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 child can say or do that can be so hurtful and unloving. Maybe not even just that illustration. I think of a, a child who has parents that are unloving to them, adult child. Right, things that are that are unloving, that are said, said attitudes, favoritism, all of those things. But we as Christians were called to love, and as we endure, as we persevere in love through them, then it, it's not about us. It's not about what they've done to me that's caused me hurt, or has caused me to be angry, or has stumbled me up, or any of those things. It's not about that. It's that Christ loves them, Jesus loves them, and, and because of that. I'm going to be in obedience to him and walk in love. And that's the love that changes people's hearts because it's Christ working, right? You become the tool for Christ to share his love with that person. You become the vessel that Christ used. And that's, again, that's what he wants for us. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Um, that's beautiful. That means that as we walk in love, as we are demonstrating a supernatural love one for another, that's assurance of salvation for us. That's what's, what John is saying here. By this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure, assure our hearts or have confidence in our hearts, shall... shall um, be uh, confident as we stand before the Lord. 
in our relationship with him, we can be confident that we are saved, that we're walking in the truth, that we are in obedience to him as we are loving one another, right? That's what Jesus says about his disciples. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's for people outside the church, is that they'll know we are Christians by our love for one another. But it's also for us. We can know that we are walking, we are in salvation, we have assurance of our salvation as we're loving one another as well. Um, and it's a truth that the Lord teaches us because, again, it's supernatural. It comes from Him. We shall assure our hearts before Him. Love, uh, indeed, and in truth, is the sign of our salvation, of being born again. It offers us assurance of our salvation. And that assurance, in the Greek, to assure our hearts, it means to persuade or to set at rest. Right? That means that as we're in obedience to Him and we're loving one another, as we're walking in love and we're helping one another out, as we're laying our lives down for one another, then the questions we have about our salvation, we, we persuade our hearts that we have that assurance of salvation. We set those worries, those concerns that we have at rest because, again, who's our example for love? Christ, has any one of us sat, put ourselves on a cross on someone else's behalf? No. Can any one of us live up to his standards in our own strength, in our own flesh? No, we can't. And I, I think even as believers walking in the Spirit, we can't live up to his standards because we still have our flesh with us, right? We can't. And so we have that as the standard. We have that as the duty and the obligation that we have. So uh, naturally what comes out then is this self-examination, say, man, I'm not loving. I'm not loving, right? I, I, uh, I'm selfish. Um, I, I seek to please myself a lot of the times. Um, I want what I want. I want to do what I want, even when it comes to ministry sometimes, right? We, we look at our hearts and we say, I, my heart is gross, right? It's that idea of meek, me, ick, right? Um, we have that understanding, and then that causes us to question, well, I'm, I'm not loving. I'm not being like Christ. But uh, So we have that now. Uh, we can have assurance where we no longer have that questioning, where, where those questions we have, where that, that doubt and that vacillating in our hearts can be set at rest because it goes all the way back to the promise, Christ loved us. Christ died for us. If we've placed our faith in him, he's put his spirit in us, and, and we have assurance of salvation in that. And as we abide in him, we're walking at our salvation. We're loving those around us. And, and that love then is it's that sign. It just points all the way back to Christ died for me. Salvation is there. It's based on him. It's not my works. It's him. And and I, I don't have to vacillate in, in, in my faith and my heart can be set at rest. And he goes on to talk more about this. Verse 20 says, For if our heart condemns us, if we're condemned in our heart, God is greater than our heart. Remember, 
It's not like what the world says, believe in your heart or uh, follow your heart, right? Believe in yourself, you know, uh, let your heart be your guide. All of those things. The Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked, right? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, let er uh, God be true and every man a liar, right? That's our hearts. So even in those things sometimes where our heart condemns us and we say, am I really saved? Um, We have this promise, God is greater than our heart. Right? He's greater than that. And God knows all things. If you placed your faith in Him, He knows you. He knows the struggles you have. He knows the personality traits that you have that, that cause you to grade against another personality. Or He knows the things that, that you struggle. He also knows the intentions of your heart. In that, you know, you, like Paul writes in Romans, you want to do what's good, but your flesh is weak, right? You want to do what's right. You want to love one another. You want to not fly off the handle when somebody cuts you off as you're driving down the highway, right? You want to do those things or you're convicted when you do that, all right? All of those things point to the Spirit of God dwelling in you as the assurance of your salvation. It's the work in us. God is greater than your heart and He knows all things. He knows that about you. God knew that you would fall and stumble in temptation after you placed your faith in Him, that time that you did that. God knew that when He died on the cross on your behalf. He knows you. It's not a surprise. The things that we do in our lives are not a surprise to the Lord. He knows you, and He loves you, and He calls you, come back to me, repent. Don't stay in that. Don't stay condemned in your heart. God is greater than your heart. The answer, if you have that feeling of condemnation, those feelings, that understanding of shortcoming in your heart and your life, take that as the prompting of the Spirit to repent. Right? It's as simple and as easy as that. You repent. You say, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I, I don't do this right. Lord, give me the strength to walk in faithfulness in these things. And He is faithful to give us that. And that's what we see. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, if we're good, if we look and we say, you know what, I, I am being loving. The Lord, uh, he saved me, and I just want to serve him, and, and the Lord's blessing these things that I'm doing because of what he's done and his love that he's done in me. Uh, because, and it says, for whatever we ask, we re- uh, sorry, I skipped over. If our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. We have assurance. We have confidence towards him and in, in front of him. We, we just, we have that confidence. So not only is that we have the two contrasts where our heart condemns us or our heart does not condemn us, but I think even more importantly, it's a progression. We have the example, Christ died on our behalf, his perfect love. We fall short of that. Our heart condemns us. But then we come back to the understanding God is greater than our hearts. God knows all things. He loves us and we repent when we've done wrong and we walk forward in faith in that. And then we have confidence before him, right? Then our heart no longer condemns us because it's set at rest. It's set at ease, right? Um, uh, he, uh, we have that, the assurance of our hearts before him. And because we then have that confidence, then we have boldness. Verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep 
His commandments. We're walking in His love. We're walking how He's called us to walk. And uh, because we keep His commandments, it says, and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. Again, it's about what He's done. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, trust in Him, have faith in Him and the promises that He gave. Let's believe on the name, speaking of His character, His nature, who He is, what He's done, uh, what His sacrifice is paid for, what His resurrection means, where He's at now, interceding on our behalf, uh, the plans He has for us in the future, that we should believe and have faith and trust in Him. And in doing that, we love one another as He gave us commandment. And as we have that, we have boldness in our prayer. We have boldness before the throne of God. We have boldness. Um, write these verses down. We're done, we're done, almost done here, but um, I didn't have time to go through them. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23. The work of Christ gives us confidence in faith towards Him for forgiveness of sins. It's because of what He's done. We, ha- we can have confidence that we're forgiven. Hebrews 4, verse 16, and 1 John five fourteen. they go together. The work of Christ, what He's done for us, gives us confidence in prayer. We can have boldness before Him. And then 1 John four seventeen, and that, the work of Christ, gives us boldness at the day of judgment, what He's done for us. Matthew 7, 7, it says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will be find. Uh, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Right? We have that promise from the Lord. We, we ask Him. We can have boldness, because He loves us, and He died on our behalf. And if we're asking Him good things, how to be obedient to Him, how to love a person that's unloving, um, how to uh, sacrifice what we have on behalf of others, and trust the Lord to make up for what we need to provide for what we need. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. That's the promise we have. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Right? John fifteen seven. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Right? Abide in Christ, and what you're asking for is that abiding, and it will be given to you. You know, we may have to wait. We have that patience and that trust and faith. That's what this last verse here says. Believe on the name of this, uh, of His Son, Jesus Christ, right? Uh, and then James 4, 3. Here's how we need to ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. As Christians, we ask and we ask for things that are self-sacrificing towards one another, out of love, the things that God wants us to do as we're abiding in Him, as we're walking with Him. And if we're asking in those areas, then the Lord will answer, and the Lord will, will give what we have need of in those moments. And that's the promise that we have. And again, it goes all the way back to because He laid down His life for us, right? He paid the price on our behalf. So we walk in that love. We abide in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for this time. I pray that You would bless these people. We pray that our pastor and Tracy got home safe tonight. Um, We pray that the kids were blessed in their Sunday school classes and the high schoolers and the junior high, Lord. 
Um, and we just pray that you would continue to do ministry in this church, that in this time that we have afterwards, that you would give us opportunity to pray for each other. If there's a need that needs to be met, that you would bring that to our attention, that we can um, be obedient to your word, that we can be uh, doers of your word and not hearers only, Lord. We ask this in your name. Amen.